my apologies for that mix-up. Ever since Lutheran Service Book came out, I always mix up 821, Alleluia, Sing to Jesus, and 822, Alleluia, Let Praises Ring. And it said two different things in the bulletin, one different number and one different title. And I didn't know what Don was going to play. 822, I don't know what you people with the large print bulletin had, but if you had the wrong hymn, which I think you probably did, my bad. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God again this week is from Revelation 21 later on in that chapter. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This is God's word. It is no secret that the church has to endure a lot of slander against it. And we are especially mindful of that today when we hear some of the things that are being said about Christians and their insistence on defending the dignity of human life in every stage. Now that it appears that Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned, perhaps as soon as tomorrow, there are those who are saying, oh, you Christians, all you care about is unborn babies. You don't care about women. You don't care about mothers who are single. You don't care about babies who need to be adopted. You don't care about other people. All you care about is protecting fetuses and unborn children. And that, of course, is a slander. That is not true. Christians believe that every single human life has dignity. And that we must be a culture, a people, more than the church, but a society where we value every single human life. The unborn baby, the mother of that baby, the father of that baby. And everyone else impacted. This is also true, of course, in the case of marriage. Where we are told as Christians that because we believe marriage to be between a man and a woman, that we're filled with hate. We hate people who just want to love each other. We are filled with judgment and condemnation. And of course, that's also a slander because... Disapproval of a thing, saying that a thing is not good or beneficial, is not hate. Or I would be hating my children every time I disapproved of the grade they got on their test or the way they spoke back to me or their mother. Rather, it is Christian care and concern that calls us to uphold the word of God in these matters. And that issue of, of marriage is one that runs all throughout this text today from Revelation 21. Now this can be misleading because we know that Revelation is filled with imagery, right? Jesus is the lamb. You've got these elders before the throne. You've got these four living creatures. You've got a scroll with seals on it. But when this angel says to John, come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. This is not just mere 
imagery. Rather, the idea that the Lamb, Jesus Christ, has a bride is an image found throughout all of Holy Scripture and not just in Revelation. The Lord God himself in the Old Testament calls his people Israel his bride. He says that he is a husband to them. And when they chase after false gods, he accuses them of being unfaithful to him. Jesus, in his own parables, describes himself and his return as a bridegroom who is returning to come to the wedding feast. And those who await the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, are his bride. The people of God are the bride of Jesus Christ. Now in Revelation, it says that the bride of the Lamb is the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. But I want you to notice the number that's repeated all through our text. In the very first verse, it's the number seven. The number of completeness, right? In seven days, God completed his work of creating the world. But later on throughout the text, it's the number 12. This Jerusalem, it says in our reading, had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And later on, the wall of the city had... Twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And then towards the end of our text, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, and so on, and so on. That number twelve is a significant number in the Bible. It's the number of the people of God. And that occurs in two different ways. There's an Old Testament significance to that number and a New Testament significance to the number. And they're both found there in that description of the New Jerusalem that John sees. First, it says 12 gates are on the city, three on each side of the city. And on those gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Who were the people of God in the Old Testament? They were the sons of Israel, the descendants of Jacob. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, had 12 sons, and those descended from those 12 sons were considered the people of God, the ones who would inherit the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now in the New Testament, there is a new Israel, How we become God's people is no longer a matter of who we are descended from. But rather it's a matter of faith in Jesus Christ. And so we, the church, are the people of God. Not because we're descended from the line of Abraham. But rather because we're sons of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the twelve foundations of the city have the names of the 12 apostles, those who proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and who, because of their teaching, 
We have faith. We are God's people. We are, as Revelation reminds us, the bride of the Lamb. And I want you to take to heart, every one of you, how precious this city is in how it's described in John's vision. He sees it coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And as John goes on to describe this city in the verses that aren't included in our reading, he talks about all the different precious stones and jewels that are reflected in this city. But I want you to especially key in on verse 11, which is in your reading, that it has the glory of God. God's glory is his people. The glory of God is the bride of Jesus Christ. And that's why it is a woe to anyone who would tamper with or try to play fast and loose with what marriage is. Because marriage is a picture of our salvation in Jesus Christ. He, the bridegroom, who loves us, who treasures us, in whom we have the very glory of God. It's a further slander against the church that we, the church, have just this long history of being patriarchal and chauvinistic and trying to demean and belittle women. It's just simply not true. It's not that those things have never been there throughout history. We'd be lying if we said that they weren't, but it was the Christian church that elevated and extolled women as the world had never done it before. Think for yourself in this Easter season who were the very first people to witness that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was no longer there. It was the women who went there. Where were the disciples? They were hiding out, right? For fear of the Jews and what they might do to them. But the women went to the tomb. And were the first to see that it was empty. Who was the first to see Jesus risen from the dead? It was, of course, Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20 who fell at his feet and clasped onto them and cried out, Teacher! And who, of course, did our Lord God choose to bring his Son into the world? But the most favored among women, Mary, the mother of our Lord. It is the word of God that teaches us to extol, uphold, give honor and glory to women 
to brides, to wives, to mothers. Because that is what God does to his church. That is what God does to each and every one of you, women and men alike. There's a joke that my kids have kind of thrown at me over the years. And I always kind of try to blow it off. I talked earlier about kids who kind of get a little smart mouth towards their parents. Well, one has been, at some point my kids decided to make fun of the fact that I wear a dress every week. This. And I would always say things, it's not a dress. It's a robe. It's an alb. They're vestments. It's not a dress. But let's be honest. That's what it is, isn't it? We heard a couple of weeks ago in Revelation chapter 7 how the people of God are those who are clothed in white robes. Right? Our acolytes wear white robes when we do confirmations. The kids are put in white robes. There's a history of at baptisms putting a child in a white robe. And of course, at a wedding, a bride is clothed in white. Now, there are all kinds of nasty things that are said about that, whether a bride is is fit or not to wear white at her wedding. And I would argue, yes, always. Because a bride is clothed in white because she's precious. She's precious to her husband, and she's precious to God. And in the case of the church, they're both one and the same. You are precious. You are the glory of God, you church, you people. You are precious to the bridegroom who went to the most incredible of lengths for you. He laid down his life for you. So that your robes, your garments would be made white. So that you would be clothed in splendor and righteousness. So that you, all of you, again, women and men alike, would know how precious you are to your God. It's hard for us as the church to find our voice on these things that are so difficult to speak about in our public square. But as we continue to try to speak and find our voice in these things, let us never lose sight of this precious reality that we are the bride of the Lamb. We have a bridegroom, Christ our Lord, who loves us and gives us unsurpassed value and worth that we cannot comprehend. And so let us, his church, his people, his bride, be where he is found. Let us come together with him who is our bridegroom, we his bride, to be fed and nourished and washed in him who loves us. And let us always in this place find the love of a bridegroom that is greater than we can comprehend and shows us just how precious we are to the one who has made us 
and redeemed us. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.